You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans in NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Alexa, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from, including Spotify. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NOLA, Jake on Twitter, here with you all on this Wednesday, the hump day edition here of Locked on Pelicans. We're going to be talking about more themes we learned from Media Day there on Monday. Rory Calais and I broke it down a little bit yesterday, having a conversation about what we heard. But I want to dive deeper into a topic today, give you guys an update on things that are going on around the NBA, because there is a lot of news that just came out, and continue everything as we kind of build up towards the season. We're going to talk about playing fast. The Pelicans were fast last year. How can they increase it. Let's dive in a little bit on Frank Jackson and maybe the role that we expect him to play. I think we got a little bit more insight into that from Media Day as well. And then, of course, wrap up with just news going on around the NBA. So let's dive into everything in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. So big theme out of Media Day was playing fast for this Pelicans team. We all know they played fast last year, ranking number one in pace by wherever you want to look at the metric um, first overall from the not the latter part of the season, but they were also in the top five, top 10 the whole season, even with DeMarcus Cousins there. They just kind of ramped it up to another level after that injury happened. So now the talk has been, yeah, they're going to still play fast, but Alvin Gentry says they want him to play faster. And all the players mentioned you know, in this, yeah, we should play faster, or that sounds good to us, and we think we can do this. Everyone seems to be bought into the idea of playing much quicker basketball. But the question then becomes, how, how do you do that? Is it just simply... So pace, we, we probably need to break that down a little bit first. Pace is a factor. It, it measures possessions per game. So the Pelicans, according to basketball reference, we'll use that one, played with 100.3 possessions per game. In a basketball game, for the most part, Each team is going to play with the exact same pace. Think about it. You score, the other team gets the ball, they score, you get the ball, and so on. You basically, other than the end of quarters and then how it works with the inbounding and everything, more or less play with the exact same pace throughout the course of a game. So one team can dictate tempo and pace of play, and one team can try and slow it down. So for the most part, though, the Pelicans played very, very fast. And usually to do that, you need to take shots Early on in the shot clock, that's kind of a big thing. Shots early in the shot clock. Think about it. If you use um, just, say, 10 of your seconds on your 24-second shot clock, ball gets up, the other team gets a possession, and you're going to get another one sooner than if you had waited all 24 or 20 seconds or what have you. So we're all on the same page with that. To do a lot of that, though, is you need to play in transition. It's sometimes you don't want to just take an early shot for the sake of taking an early shot. You want to make sure those are high-quality looks. Well, to shoot early on in the shot clock and get high-quality looks, it's usually got to be in transition. You don't want to just be a team that chucks the ball up. And these are NBA teams. They're not really going to kind of do all of this type of stuff. So that said, pace, there we go. We've defined it. But how do you then increase it? You know, to play in transition more, you've got to find ways to get the ball and race down the court. And that's what we're going to focus on right now and how Julius Randle in particular is going to be able to help this team do that. 
in his in his uh, end of season avail or in his preseason availability, the media day stuff for Dell Demps on Friday, he mentioned he liked the team's rebounding last year, but they weren't a great rebounding team. We're not focusing on offensive rebounds where they ranked 28th out of 30th. Let's look at defensive rebounding. They grabbed 76.7% of opponents' misses. That ranked 20th in the league, bottom 10. So not a great defensive rebounding team. Well, one way you want to get out and run in transition is by ending opponents' possessions, grabbing that defensive board, and then going. If you're inbounding the ball after the opponent makes a shot, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Defenses are back. They're set. They're going to take away the transition opportunities. This is why a lot of teams forego offensive rebounding in the first place currently in the NBA. They'd rather just get back, get set, and take away transition. It's even easier after they've made a shot, and now your team, the Pelicans, have to inbound the ball and take it up the length of the court when the defense is already back. So the main way the Pelicans are likely going to be looking to increase their pace other than just chucking the ball more is playing in transition through defensive rebounding. So we jump to another stat, and that's going to be defensive rebound percentage, an advanced statistic, if you want to call it that, that's available in a variety of places. I'm just going off the basketball reference site right now to make it a little bit easier. Of the four, of the, the players that are going to see significant minutes, there's two strong rebounders on this team. Anthony Davis, who grabs 24.8% of defensive rebounds um, when he's on the court and with everything. And you've got Miritich, who's also at 24.6. DeMarcus Cousins was at 30.9. He's not there anymore. Czech Diallo was 29.6. But he doesn't play that many minutes. He's inconsistent, and his role's kind of small, so I want to leave him out of this for right now. And then Omer Asha, who we all knew, was a good defensive rebounder, but he's gone too. So you've got Anthony Davis and Miritich as your main guys who are really above 20% in terms of defensive rebounding percentage. That's good. It's better when you have three guys who can do that, though. So enter Julius Randle here. For his career with the Lakers, this is a guy who's grabbed 26.9% when it comes to defensive rebounding percentage. He was at 22.8% last year, down from the 25.8% the year before, and then 32 in his first real season. We're not going to count the one season where he only played 14 minutes. Um, so he is a good, very strong defensive rebounder. Perfect. That's how you end opponents' possessions, not give them second chance points, and can get the ball and can race down the court. That lets you play in transition more. So now the Pelicans are going to have three guys who are above 20% when it comes to defensive rebounding percentage. That's only going to help this team get more transition opportunities, but it gets a little bit better. And we've been talking a lot about Randall, and I'm very high on him going into this year. This is a big who doesn't just get the ball and need to throw an outlet pass, something like what Kevin Love does, which he's very good at, by the way, or, you know, a Dwight Howard who's not going to run the court necessarily. This is a guy who will run the court. When he grabs a defensive board, he doesn't need to make a pass to someone else and kick things off that way. He's just going to grab that board and go. Kind of like what Anthony Davis does at times. Miritich is more of an outlet passer. But now you've got two bigs who are happily going to lead the fast break for this team. That to me sounds like a whole lot more transition opportunities for the Pelicans. Defensive rebounding, if this team wants to be successful and run the way they want to run, is certainly the way they're going to go about doing it. And look, we should think that this will happen. Look at some of the other metrics here. Look at the Pelicans in some of their defensive ranks. Because you play with a fast pace, 
opponents are going to take more shots. It's as simple as that. You give them more possessions, they're probably going to get more shots off. So when you look at it, the opponent, uh, the Pelicans took, or sorry, opponents took 91.9 field goal attempts per um, game or per 100 possessions. I can't remember off the top of my head right here. Um, for oh, per game against the Pelicans, it's a lot. You know, it's actually the highest mark in the league. When you played the Pelicans, you were shooting more than when you played any other team. Okay, makes sense because it goes along with the pace thing. So you got to look at then field goal percentage for the opponents. Simple number on this one. Opponents shot 45.4% against the Pelicans from over overall. That's actually a top 10 mark in the league. The Pelicans ranked ninth best in terms of opponent field goal percentage. So that means opponents take a ton of shots, but they also miss a lot of shots. That's going to put the Pelicans in the top 10 in opponent misses per game. It's a whole lot more chances to rebound the ball and get out and run in transition than any other team. And this is why I think the Pelicans have a lot of ability to get out and run more. Of all of those misses, they only rebounded 76.7% of them to then maybe get into the fast break or at least end that possession. Otherwise, you know, they, they were giving up offensive rebounds, whatever. So now all of a sudden you're going to have more opportunities and a better rebounder to help increase that number, leading to more fast break opportunities because the just raw numbers of the potential for it happening are absolutely there. And with Randall's ability to run the court, you don't even need that outlet pass. You can just grab it and go. He can do that. Davis can do it. Miritich can do it to a degree. Drew Holiday's a decent enough rebounder when it comes to that sort of thing. So you've got to feel pretty good about this team actually being able to increase the pace that they've talked about wanting to do. Whether it's going to be successful or not, we'll wait and see. But all the pieces are there to really, you know, practice what head coach Alvin Gentry has been preaching. So before we get into more stuff from training camp and what we heard at media day yesterday, look, we all love a night out. We all love going to the game. You know, it's it's about seeing your favorite band or being there to cheer on the Pelicans, the Saints, or whoever your favorite team is. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, show, or sporting event of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You know those arenas better than anyone else. Sit in the best possible spot for the best possible price. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $200 or more. Save some money. Go get the experience you want. That's a great deal. Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, enter the promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, LOCKEDON, for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help get you to your favorite live events. Look, it's an online ticket marketplace. You can watch your favorite team or artist or anything like that. So again, the podcast code is locked on L-O-C-K-E-D. Receive $20 off $200 or more if you're a first-time customer. So some other things I want to talk about from Media Day, and I know a big one that I've been asked about on the radio in the two spots I did yesterday for WWL and ESPN 100.3. It's actually about Frank Jackson. And when you listen to them, everyone talk a media day on Monday, you know, the plan clearly was originally to have him follow what Czech Diallo was going to be doing his first year in the league, which is really spending it, you know, the majority of the time with the G league D league at the time. 
I don't know if actually that's the plan anymore. Everyone seems to think that he will be a contributor to this team. Alvin Gentry said so. You know, he's going into training camp with some restrictions. I think that more has to do with like a conditioning game shape kind of thing. Yes, he's been working out all offseason, but still, he didn't play any real basketball last year. And even going back to his time at Duke two years ago, he was injured for a lot of that. So he hasn't really played a full season of NBA basketball in two, three years here. And that can be a big deal. You often see rookies hit a wall after 60 or so games when all of a sudden, you know, they're playing double the amount that they had played in college and it can really kind of wear on you a little bit. Now he's coming in not even having that kind of college thing and then going into the NBA and continuing some of that form. So he's kind of starting from further back maybe in terms of conditioning and game shape than a lot of other rookies would be doing. Hence maybe why the Pelicans want to bring him along slowly and not burn him out and have him hit that rookie wall a little bit earlier than say other guys might but certainly Alvin Gentry said he's very high on him he expects him to be an NBA player he expects him to be a contributor to this year but he did temper expectations and didn't really give us a clear idea of what his role might be when you watch him and you could see him at practice the other day he does move and look like an NBA player the athleticism is very clearly there the foot injuries in a player of his size you're not as worried about that as you are say a guy like Durant or Yao Ming that's what ended his career so I think it gives people a lot of hope and maybe it should now, you know, maybe I'm coming around on this a little bit, little bit. Again, 13 minutes in summer league is all we've had for the past year. And that's two summer league swarm. It's not a great start to things, but certainly people seem to be rather high on him working out with the holiday brothers and everything maybe is a good idea too. Let's see it in preseason first, but it's looking like he should maybe be with the team the majority of the year. We'll see if he gets assigned potentially. Maybe that kind of gives us some insight a little bit earlier into what that plan might be with him. And maybe Jared Jack impresses and Ian Clark impresses and isn't in the doghouse to start things either. So I think that's kind of um, a thing as well. But certainly it looks like he's going to contribute in some capacity. It might not be in tons of minutes to this team this year. And you should see him out on the court perhaps sooner rather than later. So another guy that players were just effusive of was Alfred Payton at Media Day. And this is a guy that I think I'm a little skeptical on too. But when you hear these guys, it's tough to not get kind of excited about what he can potentially bring. And this is going to lead into something that maybe we're going to talk about tomorrow on this podcast because I think it's a super interesting topic when you're looking to kind of analyze this team and where strengths and weaknesses might be. But anyway, we'll, we'll touch on it in a second. I'll let you guys know when that is. But Alfred Payton, everyone was really high on. Anthony Davis spoke very highly to the point where it was almost glowing about him. And when you hear that, it's like, okay, maybe there's something to this. Um, Davis said that he thinks this team has the best defensive backcourt in the league. You know, Alfred Payton was a defensive player of the year in college. You haven't quite seen that at the same level here in the NBA, and sometimes that doesn't translate. Um, So we'll see. But Davis seemed to really like him. And when Davis talked about two lineups, there were two he spoke about. You know, one of them, Holiday was included on both of those. Randall was included in both of those. The other guy that was included in both of those was Alfred Payton. He said when they play the three big lineup of him, Randall, and Miritich, it's Holiday and Alfred Payton in the backcourt. Didn't mention Etuan Warrior, Ian Clark, or anything like that. It was Alfred Payton there. When he talked about a lineup that can really get out and run in transition where any of the guys can grab the board and go, it was Drew Holiday, Etuan Moore, 
Julius Randle, Anthony Davis, and, of course, Alfred Payton. So that's a big deal that he's talking about him and including him in the two lineups that he spoke about shows the role that Alfred Payton is expected to play with this team this coming year. Drew Holiday just went out and said, hey, our backcourt is scary when it comes to lockdown defense. And I still laugh that Drew Holiday basically said, yeah, I'd like to make, you know, make an all team, all defensive team, first team, whatever you want to call it right now, as I botch all of that, a regular thing. Like that's just a normal thing to do. But yeah, he thinks that they have some of the best backcourt players in terms of defense in the league right now. And they can really lock players down that way. So they seem to be very impressed with Alfred Payton in the defense that he showed. And when you're going against Drew Holiday in practice every day, it's not like you're going to take it easy or he's taking it easy on you. That's not really the type of player he is. So that's one of those times where maybe you want to read a good bit into this in practice. Then Gentry talked about him and said, look, he gets to the rim better than most players. No, not a great outside shooter. Gentry didn't say that. I'm saying it. But he can get to the rim. He does. Or I got to look this up. We'll fact check Alvin Gentry on this. But I believe him, and there's no real reason to do that, that he gets to the rim at the, the second highest percentage in the league compared to a, only behind Russell Westbrook. That's pretty good company to be involved in and that's an interesting thing just to keep in mind but players were effusive of him basically in the praise that they offered so this leads to believe can you throw a lineup out there with no real shooters on the court and is that going to be okay with this team we'll talk about the lack of shooting that got brought up at one point during media day and look, the Pelicans didn't really add shooters to this team. Let's not count Trevon Blewett since we don't expect him to really be playing a ton since he's on that two-way contract. So it's kind of interesting. I'm Maybe for the first time, I'm not worried about this team not really having elite shooting or tons of shooting or anything like that. We'll talk about that on the podcast maybe tomorrow, but that's a topic that we almost need to devote a whole episode to. Maybe we'll break it up into multiple parts. But for the record, we'll put it out here now, I'm not worried about a lack of shooting on this Pelicans team. So as we keep talking here on Locked on Pelicans, back to five days a week officially, I don't think they're going to let me take a day off, even if I needed one. Um, look, Locked on NBA, the Locked on NBA podcast never went away and is still here for you every day. Locked on NBA is your daily national NBA podcast. Every Monday, get the local experts on the biggest stories and then stay with Locked on NBA all week long for daily 30-minute podcasts on everything going on around the NBA. Of course, I'm on there every Wednesday. You can listen to it today. I co-host it. And follow for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play Podcast Locked on NBA. All right, some quick hits just going around the league, catching you up on things if you haven't been up to date on it because a lot of news has kind of been breaking about things. I got to have some fun on the Locked on NBA podcast this week. We've been having a lot of fun on there in the offseason anyway. If you can listen to some of those old episodes, they're great, and you really should. We came up with TV shows. We gave weird jobs to different teams that they need, people, things like that. Um, but one thing that kind of came up in today's podcast was that Kyrie Irving kind of sounds like he's really committing to the Boston Celtics. He had really been flirting kind of hard with the Knicks. There was a lot of speculation out there. He wasn't kind of saying anything committal to the Boston Celtics. And Knicks fans were basically doing to Boston what Boston fans do to New Orleans and basically already saying it's it's in the cards. It's, you know, uh, it, it's a foregone conclusion that Kyrie Irving was going to end up playing for the Knicks. Well, he came out and he said he wants to see his jersey hung in the rafters there um, of the Boston Garden or whatever they're calling it now. So he kind of shot that all down. So I don't think there's going to be any movement from him 
going on there. You had a weirder story coming out, and this should make you feel better. We've talked about dysfunctional franchises and front offices and situations here, and why this is why the Pelicans are in like great position compared to some of these other ones. After the DeMar DeRozan for Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard trade, you had Kyle Lowry not getting in touch or saying anything regarding that to the media, which is normally doesn't really talk to the media during the offseason. But it was reported by an outlet in Toronto, I'm blanking on it now and I feel kind of bad, but whatever, that he wasn't returning the calls from their head coach, from their GM, from their owner or anything. He was just radio silent kind of ghosting on them. See, anyone, it can happen to anyone, but he wasn't returning any of those calls, wasn't getting in touch with their head coach who's been there, with their GM who's trying to kind of smooth things over. He didn't have any contact with Kawhi Leonard until media day on Monday. Not a great start to that relationship there. And if you want to just look for another just worse situation, if that isn't bad, and that's really not good for Toronto in ways we could debate for a whole episode too, well, you've got the Timberwolves and all of the crap that's going on there. Jimmy Butler was excused from media day, which is probably good because that would have just been awful. And then you had a situation arise where Tom Thibodeau went and tried to convince him to rejoin the team again. And he was like, no, that ain't happening. And then he had to go to the owner to be like, hey, is this actually going to happen? Are you going to honor my trade request in good faith and really try and move me and do what you're saying and not just kind of keep me here to keep me here? Because you said this. So he doesn't trust Thibodeau to actually trade him and honor the request that he really put in. That's not great. That's a really bad look. This is why having someone run your franchise as a president of basketball operations and coach and then kind of have like not a puppet GM, but a GM that he's in charge of is not a great situation. You know, people were willing to give that to Thibodeau. They were willing to give that to um, Stan Van Gundy. Don't want to do anything like that because at times the coach part is at odds with the GM part and it doesn't match with the long-term health of the franchise. So I think that's a really bad situation. And then you look at this Pelicans team now, you're like, holy shit, this looks way better compared to all of that. So feel good about the situation they're in. And also there's just no star asking for a trade yet. And that's maybe the biggest thing. So there you have it. We've talked about the rebounding and how that's going to lead to an increased pace and likely increased easier scoring for this Pelicans team. And then, of course, just the other quick hits on players and updates and things coming out of media day who they're feeling very strong about. The backcourt position looking pretty good there with Alfred Payton. And potentially, you hear me finally coming around on this a little bit, Frank Jackson. We needed to hear it first, though. And, of course, just all the news going on around the NBA. So thank you all for listening. If you're a new listener, I appreciate you being here. Tell your friends five days a week, Monday through Friday. No one else come to you guys like this, breaking everything down about the Pelicans that you need to know. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. 